And we welcome you to the Dolphins In-Depth Podcast. Barry Jackson filling in for Armando Soguero, alongside my buddy and our Dolphins beat writer, Adam Beasley. Great to be with you on a night that the Dolphins added two Jalens. Jalen <laughs> the Alabama receiver at number six, and Jalen Phillips, the Miami Hurricanes uh, defensive lineman and outside linebacker at number 18. And it's funny about this draft, Adam, because I've never seen a draft where you could look at it from a glass half full or glass half empty perspective like you can with this one. If you're down on this draft, you could say, look, they had an opportunity to stay at three, pick a generational player, perhaps the best tight end ever in Kyle Pitts, and then at 18 come back with Najee Harris, the best running back in this draft, and be perfectly content. But you could also make the case for what they did in getting Waddle, the fastest receiver in the draft, Phillips, perhaps the best pass rusher in the draft, at least according to the Lewis Riddicks and the Daniel Jeremiah's of the world, and pick up extra inventory with the 49ers first round pick that you're getting in 2023. You're getting a pick between the third and fourth rounds uh, as well from that trade. So you could paint either a rosy picture or a negative picture, I guess, depending on on your perspective and the mood you're in. Uh, I want to hear about your experience being at the draft in Cleveland uh, during our podcast tonight. But first, I want to ask you your take on the Dolphins' picks. Had you emerged with the glass half full or the glass half empty perspective? Yeah, I think a lot of Dolphins fans were so pot committed to, to, to Kyle Pitts, to uh, Jamar Chase, that, that the fact they, that those guys went in the two spots before them, it stung. And so they'll always you know, fairly or not, Jalen Waddle's career will always be compared to those those two players. However, the Dolphins also made a statement by saying the college football writers, the voters of the Heisman, um, coaches around the country said that uh, Devontae Smith was not only the best receiver on Alabama, but the best player uh, in the country last year. And the Dolphins obviously don't think that's going to translate as much to the NFL. So I, I think the true comparison we're going to have to have long term is Devontae Smith versus Jalen Waddle. Because tonight, yes, I know you can you know go back in time and, and say they had a shot at Pitts, they had a shot at Chase. That's fair criticism. But tonight, the reality of the situation was they, they they weren't going to get those guys. They were going to go four and five, and and they chose Waddle over Smith. And and I wasn't able to be on the call. Uh, it was actually in person at, in, in Davie with uh, Chris Greer and, and, and Brian Flores, but th- their explanation of why Waddle over Smith made some sense. And if you look at what the Dolphins' deficiencies were last year, they did not have game-breaking speed, game-breaking playmakers, guys that, that will, you know can catch a seven-yard a hitch and take it to the house. You, you, you watch any highlight of Waddle at all, you know they have that now. Certainly – he had that ankle effect that made him miss most of his junior season. Uh, he says he's all the way back from that, so that'll be something to monitor going forward. But assuming he's healthy and he's got all that speed back, uh, they have a dynamic to this offense that uh, I'm, I'm, this is my 10th season on the beat. I can't remember a year where they've had a guy like this on their team. So um, I give them credit. Um, they, what did they say? They had four players they would have taken at six. I guess we can kind of speculate we know what two, two of them are because they would have obviously taken Pitts and they would have taken Chase. Um, uh, maybe the fourth is Devontae uh, uh, Smith. I don't know who the fourth would be. It's, uh, I'd be interested to get your thoughts. But regardless, uh, if, if they wanted to get out of this draft having game-breaking speed, 
and 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 to a tongue of a target to a tongue of a target he's familiar with a and b that can certainly take his game to the next level. I don't know how you can be too critical of the pick. Right. I see that perspective, and I certainly could say that they're definitely so much better in yards after catchability than they were. Last year, they were 30th in the NFL in yak on average. Waddle averaged 9.8 yards after catch in his career at Alabama. That's the highest among all Power 5 receivers with a minimum of 100 catches since 2014. So he definitely helps you with yak. An amazing stat to me about him besides that one, Adam, is the fact that the 17 touchdowns in college averaged 44 and a half yards. <laughs> that is staggering. He also had a perfect 158.3 passer rating when targeted mm-hmm. in the slot since 2019, covering obviously the 2019 season when he was healthy and last season when he played in the four games, then injured his ankle, then came back uh, for the national championship game bravely, even though he was limited. Uh, even though Brian Flores said tonight he can play outside and in the slot, which is absolutely true, I believe he will settle in as the Dolphins' primary slot receiver. Uh, we wrote back in, in January that the Dolphins knew that they had to upgrade in the slot. They saw potential with Lynn Bowden. They liked some things that they saw, but they wanted a frontline, uh, talented uh, slot receiver who they could just count on as someone who was going to be an upper echelon player in that position, and they've gotten it. And frankly, Waddle was probably best equipped of all of the uh, offensive toys in this draft, at the top of this draft, to be able to go right into the slot and help you right away. So you're looking at three receiver sets of Parker and Will Fuller on the boundary, and then Waddle in the slot. Gasecki obviously can line up a lot in the slot as well. You have Preston Williams coming off the bench. Uh, so they've gone from a subpar receiving core to now what I would consider an above-average one. And you look just at the numbers at receivers now, Adam. 13 receivers under contract. Uh, this obviously raises questions about the future of Jakeem Grant because they drafted perhaps the best returner in college football. So you wonder if he's going to make it to August. You wonder about Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns as well. But it's hard for me to conceive that they're going to take these 13 receivers to camp, especially because they need to clear out more cap space. They entered today with $9.3 million. They're going to need at least $11 million to sign the draft class and a practice squad and then a little cushion to help them, uh, you know, if there are injuries during the season. So uh, do, do you anticipate more changes at receiver just to thin the roster? Yeah, I mean, my guess is day three, you're going to see them call some teams and see if anybody wants to, to, to trade for a wide receiver. And you could get maybe a sixth or seventh round pick for a Jakeem, maybe a sixth or seventh round pick for a guy like Albert Wilson. So if they're, if they're thinking of, you know, maybe that's that's why they, you know, I, I think they had 12 receivers going to the weekend just as a security because if, say, Kyle Pitts was there at six and he was the pick, you're going to still need some receiver help. So uh, now that they have, as you mentioned, a pretty clear-cut starting lineup, and even the depth chart's pretty – I mean, we, not the Perrys of the world, what's, what's going to happen to them? He was a draft pick last year. You would assume that Bowden's going to make the team, but, you know, nothing's guaranteed at this point. Uh, but you mentioned uh, the special teams aspect, and I actually asked uh, Waddle about that. I got some time with him alone um, uh, after he was done with his, all of his media obligations. And he said he wants to be a returner in the NFL. It's not like he's going to come here and, and, you know, be in bubble wrap and just be a wide receiver. No, he, he knows that as part of his value. And I think, honestly, that's what one of the, one of the big allures for the Dolphins in picking him was. And certainly might have been a tiebreaker over Devontae Smith. 
um, was his ability to play two-thirds of the game. He's not going to play defense, obviously, but he can play offense and will play offense and defense. And I think that's, that added value may have tipped the, the scales in his favor. Certainly his explosive ability is it's what Chris Greer mentioned, but I think his special team's ability is also also played into it. Um, I do think that you're going to see a lot of those receivers, maybe not all 13 of them, but a lot of them, at the very least get to the start of camp. And because, I mean, how do they make a fair assessment on Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns? They haven't seen these guys in a year and a half. I mean, they haven't practiced since uh, late 2019. So um, if they've made it this long on the team, it would surprise me if they cut them in the next three, four months before they actually get to see them get on the field. Right. I, I would agree with that. I do think that the special teams element, as far as coverage teams, adds a complication to roster construction receiver. I'll tell you what I mean. The sixth receiver spot likely has to go to either Matt Collins or Robert Foster, uh, the kid who played for Buffalo and Washington, the speedster, because they're gunners. They're experienced gunners, which is an important role on special teams on your coverage team. So then you're looking at a top five in no particular order of Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, Jalen Waddell, Lynn Bowden. We would expect him to be on the team again as a third-round acquisition from the Raiders last year, and Preston Williams. So that's five. So if you keep a gunner as your six, either Matt Collins or Robert Foster, then where is there room for Albert Wilson or Jakeem Grant or Alan Hearns? Uh, it just it does not seem like there would be enough room for maybe even any of them, perhaps one if you keep seven receivers, but not a lot of teams keep seven receivers. So I, I think you're going to see an intriguing numbers game there. A uh, couple more things about Waddle, which I thought were interesting today. Uh, you might have seen this quote from Nick Saban, something that he told ESPN this offseason. He said, one of the things that I always look for in a receiver is how fast he can come out of a break and how fast mm-hmm. he can accelerate. Jalen Wilde probably does that better than anyone I've ever seen. Now, that comment certainly makes you stop in your tracks, right? Yeah, I mean, he's had some pretty good receivers come through that program, hasn't he? No question. No question. And also, some of the comparisons to Tyreek Hill – uh, you know, I, I guess we, we see the, the natural similarities in terms of what he can do with the ball in his hands with yards after catch, but I found it interesting that uh, a couple of analysts said that he actually is more versatile than Tyreek Hill, which stunned me. Kirk Herbstreet made that comment uh, on ESPN's coverage tonight in terms of where he can line up and where he can play. So if you're getting a more versatile Tyreek Hill, you, you know, you, you probably <laughs> have to be pleased with that. Uh, I just wonder... Uh, you know, as we look back on this four years from now, I don't think we're going to be able to judge this right away because we don't know what the 2023 49ers first round pick is going to yield. But if we look back at this four years from now, does your instinct tell you that they will have been better off? And we're just guessing here. Obviously, nobody knows that they would have been better off taking Jalen Waddle and whatever a 49ers first round pick brings in 2023 or taking Kyle Pitts. Uh, my, my instinct, which I expressed yesterday on Twitter, was that I think they will ultimately regret this move because I think Pitts is going to set records for tight ends, and I think anytime you have a chance to get a player that people talk about as a Hall of Fame talent, you do it. But I can also understand the Dolphins' perspective, and you can see a scenario, Adam, where if Trey Lance doesn't develop for San Francisco and they're bad the next couple of years, or at least not a playoff team, you could potentially get decent first-round picks both in 2022 and 2023 uh, as part of this trade. So while I would not have made the deal in retrospect, I don't consider it 
you know, egregious an egregious mistake. Right, and uh, I think there's there's one variable here that we just don't know yet, and that's the development of Tua Tungabaloa. If if Tua is a star, um, you know, you're not going to really need that additional 2023 draft pick, that first round pick. Uh, it's going to be great to have, I'm sure, in two years, but it, it won't be as much of a necessity as if he struggles this year. And they, you know, we we just saw it today. I mean, how combustible the quarterback market is in the NFL. Uh, what, what, how many four first round picks? Four quarterbacks went in the first round, um, and and Aaron Rodgers basically demanded a trade. Now it wasn't granted. The Packers insist they're not going to trade him, but stuff like this pops up all the time. And if two is not the guy, and again, I don't want to be a pessimist, a pessimist here because uh, it's a good night for the Dolphins, but. This has to be part of their calculus that if he's not the guy and, um, you know, Russell Wilson in 2022 maybe will come available. We don't know what Deshaun Watson's legal situation is, but he's, you know, I can't imagine after what he's going through, if he, if he gets cleared of these charges, he's, he's going to want to return to Houston. So he'll probably still demand a trade and get out of there. Um, they left themselves some options by moving down from three to six. So uh, if, if that extra pick helps them get a franchise quarterback, if they don't have one in Tua, I think it'll be worth it, regardless of even if Kyle Pitts was on to be a Hall of Famer. Yes, I agree. That would be the one reason to do it, because you get that extra asset in 2023, and who knows if you're going to need it for a quarterback. Also, one other part of this trade I want to bring up before we move on to the Jalen Phillips pick and what's available in Miami on day two on Friday. Uh, the, the one other point I wanted to make about the trades that they made was this. I find it interesting that in the trade up from 12 to 6 with Philadelphia, they gave the Eagles their own first-round pick in 2022 instead of the Niners. So the Dolphins now have San Francisco's number one as their only first-round pick next April, and they have their own number one and San Francisco's in 2023. If you were Chris Greer having that discussion with Howie Roseman and that uh, trade-up from 12 to 6, Adam, would you have rather given up your own first-round pick next year or San Francisco's? I guess by giving up their own, they're sort of gambling on themselves, right, that they're not going to be bad next year. Right, and there are a lot of factors that go into that as well. The, is the NFC West going to be better than the AFC East? So the, the, the Niners might have a lot more, a lot tougher of a schedule than the Dolphins do. I, 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 we don't know these things. I mean, it seems like the, there's a very good chance that the Jets and Patriots will both start rookie quarterbacks at some point this coming year because they both drafted one tonight. Um, that would suggest to me that you're not going to see a huge leap forward by either one of those franchises this year. So. Um, but again, it's, it's purely speculative and I, it's part of the fun, fun part of this job is that we get to talk about this. Um, but I, I think the Niners have a tough road and we saw Garoppolo, they, they clearly don't, they think Garoppolo's got a hard ceiling and if he is in Trey Lance's development or quarterback, I mean, if it was Mac Jones with that pick, I think they, the Niners actually would have been better next year than they would have with, with, with uh, with Lance, now Lance might be the better pro long term, but he's going to need some time to to get seasoned. So maybe it'll work out for them. But I, you know, it, it is going to be fascinating because for the last two years now, we Dolphins fans have had two things to root for: the Dolphins and whoever you know, <laughs> whoever the, the draft picks they uh, they own the team that plays them. And you're going to have it again next year. You're going to be huge Rams fans, huge huge Seahawks fans, and huge Cardinals fans, and it's 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 going to be kind of fun to watch. No question. There's going to be nothing more important beyond the Dolphins' results, obviously. But for Dolphins fans, there's nothing more important than rooting against the San Francisco 49ers for the next 
uh, 34 games on their schedule. 17 next year, 17 the year after, because the Dolphins' draft position sort of hinges on the outcome of that. I uh, want to talk to you about Jalen Phillips at 18, and we still have a lot more to get to tonight. I want to ask you about your draft experience in Cleveland, talk about picks 36 and 50, but did want to spend a little time on Jalen Phillips. So Miami, when the clock started at 18, they had a bunch of edge rushers, Available, they could have gone with Quiddy Pay. They could have gone with the Georgia kid Ojolari, who apparently has some medical issues that were reported tonight. They could have gone with Greg Rousseau, who had bigger sack numbers than Jalen Phillips in their UM careers. Uh, with Phillips, I'm conflicted on this pick. I very much like the young man. I like his motor. Uh, the eight and a half sacks in the ten games the last season. Very disruptive player, no question about effort level, no question that he has NFL pass rush moves. The concern for me is the history of concussions. A couple at UCLA, I'm not as concerned with injuries sustained in an auto accident that he had in UCLA because that's not a football injury, so I don't think that's a harbinger of any sort of uh, you know limb injury in the future. But I am concerned about the concussions, and I guess the Dolphins felt a comfort level with that. Uh, one thing uh, that was interesting about this pick is it's clear that they valued college production over potential because Quiddy Pay was sitting there at 18, but his sack numbers were pretty unimpressive at Michigan. Two and four games last year, 12.5 in his career. At least with Jalen Phillips, we saw high-level pass rush production in his 10-game sample size uh, at Miami last year. And the most surprising thing to me, Adam, about the Phillips pick was the Chris Collinsworth commentary afterward. Now, Collinsworth did tweet a couple weeks ago that Phillips was the best defensive player in this draft, but he went a step further tonight saying, by the time you got to the second half of last season, you went, oh my God, this guy is going to wreak havoc in the NFL. He plays <laughs> violence, he has multiple moves, he has spin moves. I'm going to be stunned if this guy does not end up just a good player, but an NFL star. I thought he was the best defensive player in this draft. This guy is going to be a great pick for the Miami Dolphins. So the guys who were most effusive about Phillips tonight were Collinsworth and Lewis Riddick. Uh, as many of you know, Riddick, a former front office official with the Eagles and the Redskins. Riddick said he was unquestionably the best, best pass rusher in this draft, and he said if it weren't for the injury concerns, this guy would be considered a top-ten pick. Uh, so those are my thoughts on this move. Your first instinct when you heard the pick tonight, Adam, was what? Well, I, I didn't watch, I'll be honest, I didn't watch a ton of UM football this past year, so I'm not real familiar with this game, just, you know, when I've gotten to know him more during the, 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 the process. And it seems to me that when you get to the mid to late teens in any draft, particularly this one, which was so top-heavy with offensive players, it's you can do one of two things. You can take the Jared Odricks of the world, these solid somewhat physically limited guys that are going to give you, you know, grind it out for you and give you production. You'll know you'll get a player that'll be on your 53 throughout the course of his rookie contract. You probably won't ever make a Pro Bowl, but you know you're going to get contribution for him. Or you can swing for the fences. To me, Jalen Phillips is more of a swing for the fences kind of player that I, I think is, the variance is is huge with him. He could be multiple-time Pro Bowler like Collinsworth is suggesting, or he could be off the team in three years. We, it's, there's just that much unknown. And to me, I'm okay with it. If they only had one first-round pick and they had a ton of needs in the use of the guy who was, you know, he's a projection still. I mean, he, we've only seen him so many games, and you, you mentioned his injury concerns. Um, I would have had uh, – I would have been a little more worried. But it, it, it's terrible to say because first-round picks are valuable, but it was kind of like a throwaway first-round pick. 
mean, it's, it's, it was their pick because they had a very good year last year, but you're not, the draft is not going to depend on how well Jalen Phillips does. And I kind of see him like knowing, knowing Vidagny last year and that Noah is a very similar swing for the fences kind of player. And we, the jury's still out and how he's going to develop, but it wouldn't, it doesn't bother me when, when you have multiple first round picks, particularly one in the, the second half of the first round, because that's really, by the time you get to that point in the draft, everybody's got warts, everyone's got issues. And, uh, I'm okay with taking a guy with an enormous upside. Now the downside could be big too, but he has an enormous upside. And if it works out great, if not, it was the second, the, the, the draft is going to be determined by how well he does. It's going to be Jalen Waddle, and if he allows Tua Tungvalu to take the next step. So to me, I'm okay with it. I understand it. We're, we're actually running a bit long, very. We, we love talking. We love talking Dolphins football. So we got to take a quick break. But when we get back, I'd like to get some more thoughts on you just on how the first round unfolded and if you ever thought the, uh, the Dolphins might trade back. So I had heard last week that there's some chance the Dolphins might – uh, package uh, a couple of picks and go from six to four to go get Kyle Pitts. It's obvious the Falcons had the player they wanted, so that wasn't going to happen. There was also some talk that they might move back, and the Broncos and Panthers were the most obvious trading partners. But it didn't sound like tonight when you talked to Chris Greer that that was really something that, that, that they, they gave a lot of thought to. Right. He said that they got a couple inquiries about the sixth pick, that serious talks did not materialize, and he said, frankly, they didn't want to risk losing a player they wanted by going uh, too much further down beyond six in the draft. Had they kept the 12th pick and not moved up, I'm not sure that Waddle and Smith would have both been there. Obviously, Smith ended up going 10th to Philadelphia uh, in a trade-up from 12th. Uh, so I guess we're never going to know with certainty whether one of the two would have been there. My guess is probably not, and they would have lost out on both Alabama receivers had they not moved up from 12 to 6. But I guess the question now is, uh, as far as trades go, since you bring up the trade question, is this. Knowing that Atlanta and the New York Jets, who pick early in the second round, need a running back, do you give any thought to calling Jacksonville tomorrow morning and saying, look, we're sitting here at 36, we will give you our pick at 81, a third-round pick in exchange for the 33rd overall pick, the first pick of the second round, and your fourth-rounder. Miami doesn't have a fourth-rounder in this draft, so if they want to move up for Javante Williams, that would be the likely trade. Or do you say to yourself, well, if the Falcons and Jets need a running back, take him. That's fine. We'll just get a running back in the middle rounds, be it Stevenson from Oklahoma, who played for the Dolphins staff at the Senior Bowl, or Hubbard from Oklahoma State. There will be backs there, uh, but I think there's a decent chance that the Jets or Falcons would take Javante Williams. And if they miss on Javante Williams, then you're talking about a second consecutive year where you miss out on the top-tier backs. So do, do you like that idea of moving up, Adam? And also, do you have any regrets about not taking Najee Harris at 18? Yeah, so that's, I mean, it's, it's a great question. Uh, I, I think we just have to understand that the Dolphins do not value running backs because if they did, they wouldn't have let all those guys pass them by last year, and they or they would have taken Najee Harris at 18. Um, everyone and their mother knew the Steelers w- w- was the end point. Like, he, Harris was not going to get past the 24th pick. Everyone, Everybody had a pretty good sense that that was the player that the Steelers were targeting. So no, they knew that. They had that information, and yet they still took an edge rusher and uh, who might end up being a really good player. But 
they're telling you what they value. And and honestly, I, I would if, if Williams is there at 36, I think it's an easy pick for them. It's a pick they'll make. But they they might have the opinion: Why are we giving up more assets for a position that we don't particularly value? And 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 here's another thing to consider: Their offensive line still needs work, and there's a lot of good available offensive linemen. Like, uh, you know, one of these uh, <clears throat> on Twitter, one of these uh, draft gurus said that there's like two dozen uh, players with second and third round grades, uh, offensive linemen, and some with some with, that should have gone late in the first round still available. So. It wouldn't. I would be just as surprised that. I mean, I would be, I expect them honestly to, to 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 target one of those offensive linemen tomorrow. I think either at thirty six or at fifty, they need a center. They probably need a tackle too. And so we know that the, the, the mo of this team, the, the very first pick they made was in the trenches. This group, uh, they took you know three, three two offensive linemen in the first two rounds and three in the first four last year, and the position still isn't fixed. Um, so if, if you're going to ask Chris Greer, what do you value more, you know, a tackle that could potentially walk in and start for you at right tackle, uh, or, or, or a running back who we don't particularly value anyway, I bet he's going to take the offensive lineman. Yeah, I agree with you, but I don't agree with that philosophy. Uh, my thinking is you, you don't have frontline NFL backs. You have competent NFL backs with Miles Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed, and Malcolm Brown, who started two games in six years with the Rams. So you're looking for a guy who's going to touch the ball 15 times a game for you. I'm okay with their situation at right tackle. Jesse Davis was very competent last year. You have Davis competing against Fluker. You can obviously add a right tackle if you want at number 50 or in the third round or next year. To me, that's not a position that requires immediate care. Obviously, if you can upgrade, absolutely you do because you're not great there, but you're at least adequate to slightly above average there. So if you're going to get an offensive lineman at 36 or 50, to me it would be a center, a point that you just raised, who can also play guard. And you have all the top centers still on the board, obviously, with Landon Dickerson of Alabama coming off the knee injury, Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma, uh, Quinn Miners, a player from Wisconsin-Whitewater who really impressed the Dolphins at the Senior Bowl. I believe he'll be considered at 50 uh, if he's available at that point. So to me, that would be the preference. And I could justify a, a center at 36, even more so if Javante Williams is off the board. If you do go tackle at 36, I would guess the name to watch would probably be Tevin Jenkins. He's a top-rated offensive tackle who's still available. Uh, Liam Eichenberg, a tackle guard from Notre Dame, would also be an option at that spot. Uh, so I, I don't think either of us will be surprised if the picks are running back offensive linemen in some order tomorrow. But I also think because of the point you raise that Chris Greer and Flores don't particularly value backs, I think we have to be braced for the possibility that the Dolphins might not take a running back until round five. Uh, <laughs> this point, a lot of fans, but to me it's a real possibility because we could see them tomorrow uh, taking an offensive lineman, maybe two, maybe another defensive front seven. We could also see them uh, addressing defensive backs mm-hmm. with their pick at 81. Because mm-hmm. they never seem to feel like they have enough defensive backs, and there are some good corners and safeties in this draft uh, who have fallen. Among the corners who are going to be on the board, uh, potentially at 36, Tyson Campbell, the Plantation American Heritage kid from Georgia, Sante Samuel, another local kid, Kelvin Joseph. Uh, two of the top three rated safeties are still on the board. Uh, the, the TCU kid, uh, Trevin Morig, Javon Holland uh, from Oregon. Uh, one more top safety still on the board. 
what would you think about the idea of them doubling down on a pass rusher and taking even another one? I know uh, Carlos Basham from Wake Forest is well-regarded. We talk about the Georgia kid, uh, Ola Jari, who we thought was an option at 18, but some medical issues with him that have surfaced tonight. Could you, justif- could you justify another pass rusher at 36 or 50, Adam? I, I guess Joseph Asai from Texas would be another mm-hmm. name in that group. Uh, or-, or is that too much attention to one position? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's kind of what Greer does, though, right? I mean, he 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 doesn't just address the position; he smothers it, and he he takes three offensive linemen four rounds, as we mentioned. He, you know, he he signs the the biggest corner on in free agency, and then drafts one in the first round as well. When he when he sees an, an area of weakness, uh, he doesn't just try once; he tries multiple times. So, no, it wouldn't surprise me. I just think they have so many other more pressing issues that. This draft is kind of rich, and you, you 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 did an excellent job of of listing all the linemen and and and, and safeties that are available. I, a corner would just a, a corner at thirty six, I think, would be a misallocation of their resources because they you you mentioned center. I mean, their their center right now is a guy that's you know a year and a half removed from just an awful injury, and he got benched last year for the Ravens. I mean, it's not like this guy's coming off a Pro Bowl season, so. Um, Skura is a, a you know serviceable player certainly, but there's a reason what did he sign for two three million dollars something you know bargain basement. Um, a, a pass rusher in a corner at that spot would just I, I think would be a mistake because they really have some needs so that they have to address. I, I totally agree with that, and I do know they've told people that they would like to add a young center in this draft. If we don't see one of the top three tomorrow in Dickerson, Creed Humphrey, or Quinn Miners. I would watch for Trey Hill, a Georgia center. They've mentioned to people that they like him. So your, your point about score is absolutely right on. He was a very capable center for Baltimore for a couple of years, but certainly fell off last year and was benched for the snapping issues. And I found it interesting that even after they signed Scora, the Dolphins were still trying to sign David Andrews and were in it until the very end. The money was very close with the Dolphins and the Patriots, and he ultimately decided to go back to New England. So that shows you that even with Matt Scora, the Dolphins don't feel they're set at center. They have Michael Dieter behind him, who obviously can also compete at guard. But I think at this point, uh, as you uh, first reported this week, it looks like the guard uh, the guards will be Kinley and Rob Hunt. You have the report that Rob Hunt's moving uh, from tackle to guard. So uh, it looks like they're going to commit to the two kids from last year's draft for three-fifths of their offensive line with Austin Jackson at left tackle being the uh, the other piece. One other position I want to mention with regard to 36 and 50 tomorrow. I wouldn't totally rule out inside linebacker because you have three very interesting players there with Owusu Koromoa, uh, from Notre Dame. Some projected him to the Dolphins at 18. He's a terrific player. Uh, two other inside linebackers, very much in the mix, I would think, for the Dolphins' second-round range at 36 and 50 would be Jabril Cox from LSU, uh, Nick Bolton from Missouri. So if you did that, and if one of those three turned out to be a rookie who was ready to start, then you could start that player alongside Jerome Baker and move McKinney outside. So they have some options now uh, with McKinney because he can play both inside and outside. I think their front seven now, Adam, I think it looks decent. Uh, As your edge guys, you obviously have Ogba and Van Ginkle as your likely starters with Jalen Phillips and Vince Beagle behind him, right? You got Mm -hmm. Jerome Baker 
and McKinney is your two inside linebackers, and you sign the two free agents, uh, Scarlett from Houston, Duke Riley from Philadelphia, as backups there. And then along your defensive line, it would appear to me at this point that Adam Butler would probably be the front runner in a three-man line to start alongside Wilkins and Raekwon Davis. Obviously, Zach Sealer is in the mix as well. Uh, John Jenkins, you know, would probably be a, a fifth defensive lineman at this point. So uh, I think they could use maybe one more player in that mix, but you could probably get by uh, with what they have. What's your comfort level with that front seven right now? Yeah, I, I think it's at least their concerns for all the reasons you just mentioned. And, and, and while we've been doing this exercise, it's kind of refreshing that they actually have some depth now. And certainly at some positions they don't, but wide receiver, we, we talk about this. I mean, that's they, they've got more depth of wide receiver than any time I can remember. Um, and I kind of feel the same way with front seven. I mean, <clears throat> yes, they don't have too many of these traditional 4-3 defensive ends, but they're never in a 4-3 anyway. I mean, they're, they very rarely a play, I guess. You, you have so many guys with position flexibility on this defense that you don't really need a traditional, you know, Agua and is, is probably enough to get by because the rest of these guys will be stand-up linebackers and sometimes they'll put their hands in the dirt. I think you'll see Wilkins play some defensive end. I think you'll see um, uh, see Zach Sealer play some defensive end as well. So uh, I, I can kind of be talked into this being a really good defense next year. Yeah, I, I think so too. And there's one other outside-the-box idea that can't totally be ruled out for day two tomorrow. What if you're sitting there at 36 and the best player on your board is the best defensive tackle in this draft, Christian Barmore, from Alabama? And we know how much they like Alabama players. It would be pretty outside the box to draft another defensive tackle after drafting Raekwon Davis, but you could always put Davis at defensive end and have a really big three-man front of Wilkins, Raekwon Davis, and Barmore. At the very least, that group should be stout against the run. I guess that would sort of be an outside-the-box idea because you you would have drafted uh, Alabama defensive tackles <laughs> in the second round two consecutive years. But I guess it can't be totally ruled out if he's the best player on their board at 36. It would surprise me a bit, but it certainly wouldn't shock me knowing how much they like Alabama players. Yeah, I would roast them for that. <laughs> I would, I, well, on that point, I did want to get to your experience tonight in Cleveland. We haven't been out a lot, obviously, during the last year because most media access for our teams has been limited to Zoom sessions because of COVID. Uh, but you were able to get to Cleveland tonight. You're in your hotel room as we speak. Tell me what that experience was like being at a draft tonight. Yeah, I mean, it certainly was kind of a bucket list type of deal. I'd never been one before, and I probably won't see the need to, to go to one again. Um, it's 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 pretty wild, though, to see. I mean, we, we, we were in a room. It's not like we were in the theater. We were in a room in the Science Center, which was the building adjacent to the theater, the, the pop-up theater that they built, um, on the second floor, and watching a feed of the uh, of the proceedings uh, on, like, closed-circuit television. It's not like we were even watching – NFL Network or ESPN. We were watching the actual feed of of of, of the, the stage show that they had. So it was it was fun. It was interesting. It's it's hard though. It's it's hard to get your arms around an event that big. These these players tonight was kind of eye opening. The kind of obligations they have because there are you know NFL Network obviously ESPN are carrying the draft live, but there are a ton of other major networks like CBS Sports Network and. Um, I guess it's maybe it's CBS 24/7, whatever they call it. Um, their 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 web-based show. Um, 
Sirius XM, you know, a lot of huge heavyweight and, and national media was there. And, um, and these poor players, they, they're just getting, <laughs> they have the best moment of their lives, right? I mean, they get, the dream comes true. They're drafted by an NFL team in the first round and they spend the next two hours, uh, two hours just being pulled in 17 different directions. So it's, it, it, it was kind of seeing how the sausage was made. It was a bit eye opening, but certainly it was, it was exciting to be there. It was fun to be there. There was a buzz in the city. Um, I think Cleveland obviously has got some shortcomings as a, as a major metro. They're bleeding population pretty significantly. But the, the, the bones are good at that city. So it, it was good to have an event because everything was walking distance. And it was, you know, it, it was fun to see. But, yeah, no, it's, it, it's exciting to be part of something that, you know, 15, 20, 25, maybe 25 million people total will, will have will watch some of it last night. And to be there was fun. And outside of fans wearing masks, was there any other clear difference to you that would distinguish attending this draft and witnessing the draft experience than a pre-COVID year? Oh, yeah, for sure. The Where you saw Goodell on TV, uh, there was just a handful of actual civilians there, and they were all handpicked by teams. Um, I think you had to have an invitation from a franchise to get one of those spots. Um, usually, like you see, uh, you would see in Nashville in 2000. And 19 and some of these other cities where they just line the streets and they go basically it's like a music festival. You can go the whole way up. No, they, it's crazy. There were a good number of the people who were granted access to quote unquote access to the draft were a mile, half mile away, uh, watching it on Jumbotron and, 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 and they could see the, the theater, but they couldn't see what was going on because they were so far away. But I guess it's kind of speaks to the, the, the the, the appetite this country has for all things football when literally it's a, it's a, a, a they're reading a list of names. That's what the NFL draft is. They're reading a list of names and they could get tens of thousands of people to sit a mile away and watch it on a big screen TV and party. It's, 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 it's just absolutely wild. Incredible. And to justify putting it on three networks with three different broadcasts with ABC, ESPN, uh, and, and NFL network as well. Uh, in our closing minutes, just want to put a bow on the Dolphins night uh, one thing that stood out to me, besides the fact that both players they picked are named Jalen, is this speaks to how much they value versatility. Because Flores noted that they like that Waddle can play both outside and in the slot. And with Phillips, the interesting thing about him is you can line him up at defensive end. You can line him up as an outside linebacker in a 3-4, and you can also move him inside to defensive tackle on pass rushing downs because he's big enough and physical enough uh, and powerful enough to play there. And in fact, he dominated guards at times at Miami when he was lined up inside at defensive tackle. So this speaks again to how much they value players who can play multiple positions. And even though... I was down about the trade and wish they could have gotten Pitts. I am going to take a positive perspective on this. I'm going to look at it this way. They've added the fastest receiver in the draft and someone who could be a top five return man over the next 10 years, right? And Mm -hmm. they've added the guy who on paper looks like the best pass rusher in the draft if he can stay healthy. So if I want to be positive about the night, that's what I'm going to keep telling myself. And I'm also going to tell myself the point that we talked about earlier, which is, if, God forbid, Tua doesn't work out, we're both hopeful that he will, but God forbid if he doesn't, you have that 49ers first rounder in 2023, which could become a valuable carrot to acquire a quarterback down the road. So that's that's my lasting impression of tonight. Your, your closing thoughts of tonight would be what? 
the, there's no more excuses for Tua Tungabailoa. Uh, he, he needs to step up this year. He needs to have a good season. They've done everything he's – I mean, I don't know if he asked for it, but if he did ask for it, they've given him everything he's asked for. He's, he now has speed. I mean, we, we forget about Will Fuller. That guy can really run, too. So they 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 have, they have a bunch of players now that can make plays for him that in a way that they didn't have last year. So between that, a year an extra year of getting healthy and an entire offseason just totally dedicated to being the quarterback of, of the Miami Dolphins with practice time. He's, he's running these offseason camps, the unofficial passing camps. He's, he's hosting with Dolphins players. It's put up time. Like he he has to take the next step. He can't have games where they bench him for ineffective play. And, and we'll really see now what this guy is made of. No question about it. And he's going to have to be without Will Fuller for the opener because of the final game of his PED suspension. But even so, they have 206 receivers, so they should be able to get by uh, without Will Fuller for that first game. Uh, one other thought tonight, which is I wonder if they're going to address safety in this draft. Bobby McCain and Eric Rowe have survived the whole offseason. I wondered if they would. I'm glad they did because I think they were a solid safety combo last year. There would be a cap, a cap savings cutting both. But to me, their futures would be secure unless they take a safety at 36 and 50. And the two best safeties, as we talked about, are still on the board. If they do, then perhaps they could consider moving on from one of those two. I don't expect it. I don't think they should. But there is that tantalizing cap savings if you move on from either one of them. At this point, my hunch is that they return as starters. Brandon Jones is your number three. Maybe they add another safety uh, at some point in day two or day three. Uh, so that is, to me, is something to watch for tomorrow. Anyway, we've enjoyed being with you. For Adam Beasley, I'm Barry Jackson. Thanks so much for joining us on Dolphins In Depth, and enjoy day two and three of the draft. So long, everybody. 